This is the second part of our Summer Musings podcast on Buff Stampede Radio. Definitely putting work in here as we get ready for fall camp. But this is also the time of year when I need to uh, spend some time with family. A lot of my sources are on vacation right now. So hopefully you don't mind us breaking this up into three parts. William and I talked for nearly two hours. So I felt like this was a good podcast to break up into three parts. This is part two. Number three from Shot and Above here on the True or False segment. CU's best player on offense didn't start for us in 2020. And then he also asked about the defense. That's an interesting question. And I, and I, in my mind, I was trying to think, who is he thinking of? Because it sort of seems like he's suggesting that maybe the answer to that is true. But I'm going to say false to both. I think the best player on our defense, if he's healthy, well, Oh, it's either Landman or Wells. And then most people would probably say automatically Landman, but I think Wells is right up at the same level as Nate and they both started last year. So either way you look at it, one of those two guys is going to be the best player on this defense. And uh, they started last year. So that's true. My, I, I think on offense, I wonder if he's getting at uh, Alex Fontenot maybe. Um, but I think the best player on our offense, and I know people are going to, say this is my my bias, but I think the best player on this offense is Frank Phillip, and I think that's going to be proven out in the long huh. haul. Um, and he certainly started last year. And then, you know, the other obvious choice behind him would be Jarek Broussard, and he's back. So I'm going to call that false on both counts. Anon 427-832 asked, will NIL hurt CU in recruiting? Seems like the brand doesn't have the cachet it once had. And maybe recruits weigh that in deciding where to sign. And Wyobuff asked, how can CU best position itself with new NIL considerations? William, I'm going to kick it over to you for your initial thoughts here. We're going to talk to Rick George here shortly. And folks will probably read that story from me before they listen to this podcast. But I'm anxious to hear what he has to say. Right. I love the buffs with a brand. It was a nice initiative by CU, but honestly, there's only so much CU can do in that front. You're right. talking about, are you a rabid fan base? Or are you not? And CU is, has a nice fan base. We love our listeners. We love our subscribers, but let's be honest about where they are. They're, they're not at where some of these other colleges are. Well, and I think, I, I don't think, you know, every, everybody's opinion, opinions on this whole NIL thing are, are all over the board. Yeah. Um, I tend to think it's not going to be as big a deal as people think it is. And I, and I, and I base that really kind of um, off of who makes money off of their social media, for lack of a better term now. And a lot of times it's people that you never heard of or that you don't expect. Right. And it's a certain kind of person. And I think NIL is going to be like anything else on the planet. Some people are going to be really good at it and they're going to make a lot of money at it. And and most people are not. So, you know, I think there's going to be a certain personality type. I tend to think it's kind of, you know, outgoing and brash and likes to put themselves out there. Who's going to really uh, benefit from this and others, maybe not so much, but I, I, I'm with you. I don't think that a school itself can necessarily do much one way or the other uh, as far as this goes. And so far as what we've seen already, like these deals and endorsements, things kind of come from outside, not from within a program. So if you're in certain markets, you know, if you're in LA, probably you have more, more opportunities. If you're in Miami, you probably have more opportunities. 
Well, in LA, I think you're going to get passed over by the pro- professional athletes, right? I think well, you're talking right. about Lincoln, Nebraska. You're talking about some of these right. smaller towns where guys, you know, uh, Runza is uh, apparently you know going to support every Nebraska student athlete. That's just not something that CU is going to be able to compete with. Right. You know, but how much is that going to amount to? And at the end of the day, in a couple of years, if, if, if it doesn't pay, if it doesn't pay back the business somehow, they're going to stop doing yeah. it. Yeah. You know, Evan, so there's, yeah. Ahead, Evan, Batty had, Evan Batty had the best tweet about this. It was like, and by the way, if Evan Batty can't cash in on this, what yeah. hope is there for CU? Because he's one of the most beloved student athletes at CU we've, we've had. We had, we have another question about guys that, really should be able to cash in by this in the past right now Evan Batty is the guy and there's not people kicking down the door right but it's going to be the smaller college towns but to your point and Evan Batty made this a good point if you're not performing on the field you're not going to get those opportunities so it's going to be short-lived with the recruiting process the NCAA says don't have this benefit you recruiting wise and it's going to short term, but long term with this transfer portal, the one time transfer rule. It's kind of the wild, wild west now in, in college sports. And yeah, I, I think maybe this is overblown. I, I was it's right. a compliance, it's a compliance nightmare. There's no question about that. Go ahead. And, and, I, and I think you make a great point. You have to look at this in the context of the new transfer portal rules as well. Okay, so all right, everybody, everybody in the Nebraska class gets—I don't know what they're going to get. Here's five hundred bucks from Runza. All right, big deal. But over overrated sandwiches, by the way. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, really, totally. Um, um, but a third of those guys are going to be stars, and the rest are not, and they're not going to get another dime probably eventually over over time. And the people that are really going to—I I think the people that are really going to be good coaches in terms of talent moving forward are the ones that can really master that the transfer portal and so you kind of recruit guys now with an eye towards getting them back in a, in a year or two if you don't get them now I think you know and so you look at that and the whole NIL thing kind of goes out the window in a sense that at the end of the day guys want to play right and so they get a, a a special deal from some company if they go to Miami. Well, I'm not playing here. I want out. And that's going to be the reality of it. So I, I don't know. I mean, I just don't, I mean, I've been around too long and heard too many things are going to be the end of the world and they never are, you know, uh, things adapt and they change. And, you know, being way back in the eighties, it was prop 48 was going to change everything. It didn't change anything. None of these things really, I mean, it, it changes things, playoffs change things, whatever, but, um, I just don't see the apocalyptic impact of this. I just really don't. Alabama and Clemson can only sign so many guys, right? Right. That's the the right. saving grace here. And it's not. And, and what difference does it make? They're not. They're going to get the same guys that they would have got anyway, right? I mean, they're Alabama and Clemson. They're going to get Michigan. They're going to get the same four and five star guys that they were going to get anyway. So, Mile High Crew asked, which five former buffs, regardless of sport and time period? would have made the most amount of money from the NIL. Byron Wizard White sponsoring Marlboro Reds would have would have made a heyday, right? <laughs> yeah, he's one of the names that I came up with for sure. I, you know, I, I didn't think of Evan. No, Batty, not, but, not the not the Wizard White smoked. I don't know that, but yeah, right. Or you know, but and I don't know what you know. I don't know <laughs> what kind of personality he had back in those days. But you know, the number one name, the number one name for me, Alfred Williams. Okay, 
because that guy was just, you know, he, he's still that way. Look at him, you know, even without, you know, he, he's, he's a personality that's as big as the sun, right? And Alfred says what he believes, man, and he doesn't care whether it's politically correct or not. And he says it on the radio and he said it when he was here. And, and you know, I think I, I remember he, he, to, at times he clashed with McCartney, times he clashed with the enemy. You know, that was the nature of his personality. And I think so. He, he's the first one to come to my mind. And Eric Bieniemy, I think, Philip Lindsay. And what I'm looking at is is larger than life personality kind yeah. of guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who are. Like the guys you always like, but this is my favorite interview. Those are the guys that are going to do it because they, they're, they're reaching out to people and they're getting people excited and they turn people on and, you know, and the guys that are really big on um, social media. So uh, Chauncey Phillips is another one. Um, and then three guys from the eighties that probably nobody ever remembers. Mickey Pruitt was a safety, was all American. David Tate was a cornerback and then Kyle Rappold was a nose tackle. And, and those guys just had that personality. That was back in the days before you had all your social media and stuff. And, and I think guys like that are just going to uh, uh, run with this thing. Yeah, that's a good list. My number one is Jeremy Bloom. I can see, yeah, I, I can see that. I'm not, I'm not sure if he, if he sort of fits like the, the outgoing sort of brash mold but i don't really remember him off the no field. he was he was the man on campus back then and actually lsu's gymnast I, i'm blanking on her name is actually they're projecting her to go seven figures with nil and jeremy bloom reaches a whole demographic uh, across football skiing women just in general right yeah well and i and i and i wonder you know i mean i'm not like you see these people on YouTube who are making millions from whatever it is they're doing. I don't watch their stuff, so I don't know what they're doing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a uncool old guy. So <laughs> I don't know what it is that, that people are doing that make them huge on that particular platform. It kind of blew me away in the last few years to find out that people were making millions doing that and, you know, without being famous. So, but Jeremy has that, that that quiet swagger to him that yeah, I think yeah. people gravitate towards. Spencer Dinwiddie is another name. You you had a good list there, but Spencer Dinwiddie is one yeah, I would throw in there. Sure. I mean, I remember riding around Boulder before basketball games, and the mayor was a thing when he was at State. right. Right. I said Chauncey, right? Yeah, you did. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then I was trying to think of uh, what was the big center, the big All America center. I want to say Her David Harrison. Harrison. Yep. He was well, uh, throwing that out as a possible possible. Okay. Okay. You know, as a guy, you know, another guy that, that comes to me from the past is Leon White, who went into professional wrestling and really made a name. Yeah. For yeah. You know, anybody that goes into professional wrestling is that kind of a guy, you know, so he was bull power, Leon bull power white. And, you know, any, any guy that can market himself like that in wrestling, I think would be really, would have been really great at this as well. Davis Buff had three questions for us with recruiting. Were you expecting more commitments after the official visits in June? We'll go uh, one by one here. Go go ahead. Yeah, I was. Okay, but that doesn't mean that they're not still going to commit. Um, you know, I was kind of hoping to see them pop the week after, but I think a lot of these kids had want to take all their visits and they, you know, guys didn't take their get to take their visits the year before and I think that guys want to follow through on that and make sure they're at the right spot. So, um, I'm I, I'm, I, it doesn't, I don't feel bad about the fact that we didn't get a bunch of commitments right after their visits. I still think we're going to get some of those guys. Number two, what do you think is a realistic best case scenario for offensive line recruiting 
in 2022? Uh, I think I think we're probably I think we're on track to get three or four really solid tackle prospects, and some of those will be guys that can, we can move inside if we need to. Uh, we already obviously have Carter Edwards and then out of, you know, Jake Mikula and Travis Gray and Jackson Brown. There's another kid, Sam Yoon, that people haven't talked about too much. Uh, I think we're going to get a couple of those guys and really have a nice class. I don't know that we need a lot of guys. Three to four is probably the max that they probably would take, I would imagine. Um, so to me, finishing out that that class with those, with two out of any of those four guys, I think would be our best case scenario, unless there's somebody that comes up as a senior in high school, that just kind of blows up. Number three, what do you think is the minimum acceptable scenario for offensive line recruiting in 2022? Well, we have to have two, we have to have two tackle prospects minimum, you know, and they got to be guys that can play. So, uh, you know, if, if only one of those, uh, what did I name five guys? If only one of those guys comes in and joins Carter Edwards, that to me would be the the bare minimum. I think we really have to have three to call it a successful class. It's a little bit different right now with the transfer portal. Noah Fenske and Max right. Ray, right, are part of, I guess, in essence, that 2021 class. That also you you brought in Jackson Anderson and Edgar Amaya. Right. You you yeah. add Fenske and Ray to that mix, it looks a lot, lot different than it did on signing day, right? Right, for sure. And Fenske is a guy with like what four still got four years to play, I think. Yeah. Three or four years to play. So, you know, he's a young guy and he's a guy that could play all five spots potentially. Um, and Max Ray certainly gives you a couple more years of guys that tackle to develop these younger guys. So it's not as critical. I think you're right. I think the offensive line is certainly going to be a position moving forward where you can find a guy who you can play right away and also find guys, obviously like Noah Fenske who can fit into your depth for years to come. So I, I think, I think we're going to see a lot of these, a lot of these offensive linemen, um, you know, you see schools like Auburn and, and Southern Cal, whatever sign in six or seven, I mean, I, Auburn one year signed seven offensive linemen. Well, you know, three or four of those guys are going to leave in the new world. So uh, just, I think, really recruiting these guys with the eye to, if we don't get them this year, let's get them in a couple of years. You know, so developing that relationship is going to be key. Davis Buff asked, do you stay impartial when interviewing a recruit who is on the fence about becoming a Buffalo? Well, that's so more this- for you. Yeah, this question is directed at me. I would say if you're banking on me to pull in a recruit, uh, you're in trouble. Uh, My dad was a salesman. I'm not. uh, I'm very happy covering CU football, but uh, my gig does not put me in a place where I'm going to try to recruit for CU. Just I, I don't think that would end up well for CU, honestly. No, and it's not what you're here to do. It's not your job, and and certainly as a as a professional, you know that's. I, I think that that both of our professions, there's a level of professionalism that's expected in what you do on a day to day level, and in, in your case, that means that that you maintain that objectivity when you're talking to somebody, um, you know, and then you report it to us honestly. So it's not just sugarcoating everything. So it's all all good news, and. I think if you become a fan of the program, when you're talking to those kids, then that does a disservice all the way around. Yeah. 
no no doubt i that i would be uncomfortable trying to do that and it wouldn't work out well for ceo trust me ellie buff asked any thoughts on why the staff is having issues closing after official visits and along those lines cu buff 89 asked there has been a bunch of sky is falling on this board in regards to cu's football recruiting how do you think recruiting has been going since it's opened up things the buffs are doing well things the buffs have to do better at thank you is this where you're going to have your rant where am i going to have my rant um that earlier you got to have a rant i i I would my initial thought was i'm going to reject the premise that they're not closing because most of these guys haven't committed anywhere yet yeah some of them have other places um you know Aaron Austin committing the other day was a, a nice break from the negativity, no doubt. You, you got to win games. It, it's again chicken egg argument. It's so. It's just not a clear cut argument here. You know, some people say, "Well, however many Power Five offers this recruit has is why I'm going to get excited or not get excited." Right? Yeah. 2020 was a nice recruiting class. They beat out a lot of schools for a lot of recruits, but most of those commitments that, you know, frankly, we report on because you're only going off what you know has happened throughout their recruitment. How many committable offers are there when they actually decide? You know, how many schools did Ashad Clayton look at late in the process? And he's a great player and going to do good things at CU, but it was kind of down to CU in Kansas, right? Mm-hmm. If he didn't have those other scholarship offers on his profile, people would would have been throwing up their arms and, and frustrated when he committed. So it, it's kind of a silly thing. Uh, Carlton Madden is a good example. The sky is falling because we took his commitment. Right. right. Now, now the sky is falling because we lost him potentially to Georgia. You know, in its. I won't live in the bipolar nature of our message board. <laughs> That's not going to happen. I, I put in 18 years of this and going on 19, hopefully another 18. I'm just not going to do that. And uh, I don't, people can have their opinions. Hey, if you want to get frustrated, whatever, but right. I'm not going to join the, join in the party there. I, that's not a rant. That's, you know, how I feel about things. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, it, it's just my nature to be optimistic. That's who I am, and that's how I'm wired. And so I look at things, and I always ho- hope for the best, and probably tend to see things better than they are a little bit. But uh, you know, one thing I would say about this recruiting season so far is that, that I personally see a significant upgrade in the level of guys that they got to Boulder. You know, and so uh, that that to me is a win to begin with. And if you're if the guys you're bringing in are a higher caliber of guys and ultimately the, you're going to sign a higher caliber of guys. Now, I think it it does speak to the point that pe- some people believe that, hey, just show them the mountains and they'll sign with CU. Well, there's a lot more going on for these kids than just a beautiful campus or beautiful scenery. And, you know, each one's got to find a fit for them. And, and every single kid is individual and different. And, you know, part of the art of recruiting is to find out what moves each individual kid and not to present the same thing to every guy. So uh, I don't I, you know, I want to wait and see what we who we end up signing, who ends up where. And I think we've all been around this long enough to know that just because a guy's committed now doesn't mean that's where he signs on signing day. So I always just want to wait till that signing day and see what we wind up with. But I'm I'm still quite optimistic about how this class is going. And I think, you know, what we're hearing from recruits 
based on their visits is really good to me. I, I mean, it seems almost universally that they're talking saying very good things about the staff and the team and the, the togetherness of the team and the facilities and everything else. And, you know, now we're just going to have to sign a, sign a class. I think somebody made a good point that, you know, you're going to be 300 plus offers out there from CU. We're only going to sign 20 to 25 of them. So if you're, if you're, you're going to cry yourself to sleep over every guy that doesn't pick us. That's going to be a lot of crying because most of them are not going to pick us. Yeah. The early signing period is also five months away, but it, again, I get it. You play 12 to 14 games as a college program, as a fan, you are going to live and die by recruiting most of the year because that's what you have to, to grab onto. Right. So I have no problem with that. I just, I'm not going to live in that bipolar nature. We've, you know, life is too short. We've got three kids. I love my wife and we got, we got a lot going on. I'm not going to well, ride that wave w- with everybody. And, and right. God bless you if if you're that passionate about it. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, and football is the craziest sport there is. And I always said this to kids. It's like you are going to bust your butts 365 days a year to play 12 times in high school, to play 16 times, you know, in college or NFL it's kind of stupid <laughs> on a certain level. It's like, you know, you putting in all that kind of work for, for a handful of days. And and so, yeah, I, I get where people are obsessed with uh, the, the sort of the chess match of recruiting and the, and, the, and I think it's kind of like, it's why people like uh, uh, social media and stuff is like, feel like they're behind the scenes and see what's going on. So, you know, he was, he's wanting to know what are we doing well and what, what do we have to do better at? I, I don't know. You'd have to ask individual kids. I guess, I guess apparently you got to fire Bob Lopez. I, I don't know. I'm remiss here. I was trying to find the post that was put on the board yesterday by somebody on our site that kind of broke down the recruiting classes. If you're all about offers, this is uh, projected to be the second best class they've had since what, 2011, something like that. Yeah. Did, did you see that post, William? Yeah. I, I, I was looking at that. Um, and, and, and he had the chart on there. Uh, I'll take his research uh, as fact here because I have not double checked it. But, uh, you know, I think that uh, people forget how bad it got late during Dan Hawkins, during John Embry's era. It was like you're checking pulses to make sure these oh, high school players oh, would come to yeah. come to see you. So we're not there. So, again, I'm not trying to be Mr. Uh, Rainbows and Sunshine here, but it's been a lot worse than it is right, right now. And that was tree climber. 08 who put that up there. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you know, you mean, man, you know, there, there've been, there've been years when we brought in guys and you're like, what the, where did we find that guy? But I, I'm, I don't know. I also feel like you take each coach on Chris Wilson. Okay. He's what he's doing on the defensive line this year. doesn't make sense to me, but Chris Wilson's forgotten more about coaching defensive line than I ever knew. And I'm a pretty good defensive line coach, you know? So if he thinks that's what he wants, then I give him the benefit of the doubt and the credit to go and get it. And same with, with coach Rodrigue, you know, it's like that guy put together a pretty good offensive line out of the uh, same guys we had here the last two years. And he seems to have a fair, very clear idea of what he's looking for. And he also was recruiting at smaller schools. And some of those guys he recruited to smaller schools who are, by definition, overlooked, got drafted in the NFL. So the guy clearly has an eye for talent. So, you know, I'm going to wait and see on a lot of these guys, uh, see how they turn out. 
Jack CR708 asked, who are you personally hoping wins the CU quarterback job? Obviously, we all rally behind whoever starts, but the fact Brennan Lewis has four years of eligibility and has the dual threat running ability is very enticing. Nothing against JT Shroud at all. Happy he is a buff. Just want to know your thoughts. He kind of stole the stole the words out of my mouth there with the dual threat running ability. I, I think that's why most people want Brandon Lewis, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, and then somebody asked a question. I like that there's a question. I the next question I think about uh, a comparison between those two guys. But to answer this specific question, I honestly don't care. I want the guy to win who's going to win games for us. You know, and if JT Shroud ends up win, being the starter and has what it takes to get us to eight or nine wins and God bless, I'll take him, you know, and if, and if it's, if it's, um, Lewis, Brendan Lewis, great there too. You know, I, I have never really, uh, taken a personal interest in who ends up being a starter at any position for CU. I just want the best guy to play. I want the guy that gives us the best opportunity to win, to be the one that plays. So I don't really, I don't really have a, a personal stake in it. Up next along those lines is RJAC3 with this question. If you had to compare the JT Shrout versus Brendan Lewis quarterback battle, what two movies would you pick and how do these players remind you of that movie? If you can't think of movies, what analogy would you make to compare this competition? All right, you go first. I'm going to go uh, Apollo Creed versus Rocky. <laughs> and. I like uh, Apollo Creed is, is Brennan Lewis. You know, he's got that mobility to him. And Rocky is that, that JT Shroud. He's, he's the home run hitter of this competition. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's my, my uh, movie analogy there. Okay, well, uh, we're, we're here in our house. We're huge fans of the Marvel Comics universe uh, movies. Yeah. And so I came up with Brendan Lewis is the Guardians of the Galaxy and and JT Shroud is Captain America because like Captain America is like old school, you know, and follow the rules and do everything the way you're supposed to do. And we'll be a stamp, a pocket passer and throw the ball down the field. Whereas the Guardians of the Galaxy, man, they, they're, you know what, they're pulling it out of their backside and figuring it out as they go along and, and make things happen here and didn't see that coming which is exactly what happened against Texas last year. It's like, you know, I don't know if Brendan Lewis co completed a pass in, in either one of those drives, but he got us in the end zone, you know? And so to me, he's kind of like, he's kind of like the guardians of the galaxy, figuring it out as he goes along, not following any kind of a playbook. So that was my comparison. Okay. Yeah. What was it? Rocky three where uh, Rocky and Apollo were running on the beach. I can just see that this summer with uh, JT yeah. Shroud and Brendan Lewis. You ever fight a dinosaur rock? It can cause a variety of damage. So, Nobody's going to know what I'm talking about. No, the the cheese factor with the Rocky movies is very high, but uh, right, if, you, if right. you haven't seen them, it's one of those things. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep, turn on Rocky. It, it's right. a good uh, it's a good movie to watch in that setting. Yeah, all, all those. That's that's from my youth. Yeah, our uh, our boxer puppy Punchy was named after Rocky would have been the sixth Rocky movie, but her father is named Apollo. So uh, she's oh, got wow. some, some, uh, yeah. some Creed lineage in her genes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Our Jack three also asked, can you think of any position battles in the buffs past where the competition didn't really produce a guy 
And the season didn't live up to the promise in part because of not finding a guy at the position. Oh man, there's never been a question that spoke more to me than this question. Jordan Webb in 2012 is the the final answer here. Lock it in. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it it can't be anything but quarterback. I I really rack my brain, and it's only quarterback competitions that have that sort of impact on a team. You know, every other position is just one out of of, of eleven guys. You know, and and I, I couldn't think of any any competition where the guy won and and didn't really live up to expectation, and it hurt the team enough that we didn't win. But it, yeah, it's always quarterback competitions. I was thinking of that guy who was a I think a four or five star and transferred in was going to be the savior of the program and started one game. And then he was benched. Did you know who I'm talking about? Connor, Connor, Connor Wood, Connor Wood. Yep. Yeah. Where he was, Oh man, all summer long, this guy's going to be the savior of the program. He's four star, five star quarterback. Woo. And then he got on the field and, and it was like, well, long. against the, against CSU, he lived up to that. And then yeah, uh, we, we know the rest of the story from there. Right. Wah, wah, wah. And then oh. Sefo Lufa was thrown in there as a true freshman against Arizona right. State. So, yeah, I will right. never forget that. And and you're saying Jordan Webb. Who who was he competing against that year? Nick Hirschman and um, gosh, who else was on the team then? It just goes to show you the phenomenal failure we've had at recruiting quarterbacks. To think that that was the that those were the guys on a on a Power Five football team that were going to be the quarterback prospects. Yeah, John Embry put out a riddle. I'll, I'll forget, never forget this. We are, it was a two-a-day. And so I covered the morning practice. I was hanging out in Boulder. I was hanging out at the Boulder Library. And people were freaking out over the fact that John Embry put out a riddle that you, you could solve uh, the quarterback competition there. And we showed up at the practice fields. They were closed up at that point because they were inventing uh, the wheel there with their, their no-huddle offense. They were yeah. stealing from Oklahoma State, and uh, yeah, all of us were like, "What? Who? The, what? The, what does this mean?" <laughs> and we got in there. We were excited to interview Jordan Webb. He, he's a good kid, and nothing against him personally. That moment against Washington State, where he kept the ball, scored a touchdown, they won the game. Their only win in 2012. But my God, yeah, no, that was a tough year, William. Uh, yeah, if, if I was ever going to think about pivoting and doing something else that was a year to do it that was brutal and and that that game the 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 highlight of that game to me is um uh what was that kid's name tony tony three jones tony Tony jones Jones (laughs) with the 99 yard touchdown run i think everybody on the board will know what i mean when i when i and i like tony he was a good kid and i helped him out he's still he's working at a last check he's working at dia so I, nice. I, I like I like Tony a lot. Yeah, good. Kid. I liked him a lot. Yeah, uh, Nick Casa had a touchdown during that oh comeback. That that game, if you could just watch that game in the Utah game of the John Embry era, that would be the greatest era ever. Though there, right. there were some good moments in there, and, and right, right. You know, I don't know. Again, I talked about short of Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney coming to Boulder. You know, John Embry was set up to fail. I mean, given what where the program was after Dan Hawkins. We could talk about this for an hour, but right. But there there were some things that he did in terms of his staff and hiring his staff and you know control of his coaches. There were real problems there. Yeah, it was two two NFL mindset. Yeah. And and, like. and 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 that staff just didn't like each other, yeah. which is odd because they were mostly friends beforehand. 
But anyways, <laughs> let's move on here. Everybody thought they were the boss, and he, I don't know, you know, so yeah, yeah let's yeah. not rehab that. <laughs> but it, it's great to see John is, is doing well, and, you know, he doesn't hold yeah. that experience against CU the way that Dan Hawkins does. You know, I'll never respect Dan Hawkins, but I'll, I will always respect John Embry as a man. Andrew S. Buff one asked, what's the latest on Landman's rehab process? Do you see him starting the season opener? So we keep hearing, William, that it's going well. You know, Chris Wilson is the latest comment on that. He did so with Brian Howell. He said he looks great. It definitely makes everybody's life a lot better when he is healthy. We'll get into camp, see how he's going. If we're two weeks into camp and Nate Lamon's not practicing full go, then maybe uh, we kind of set expectations that he's not going to be there for the season opener. That's a tough injury to come back from. I had yeah. a ruptured Achilles. Uh, my daughter's turning 10. So 10 years ago, 10 years ago in three months. And uh, th- that's a tough recovery. You're going to have, you're, you're not going to be hundred percent coming back from that. Um, but hopefully if anybody can do it, it would be Nate Lamon, right? That That's my approach to it is, is this is a guy you don't bet against because he's got just, that single-minded focus and that ability to take it to the next level in his preparation. I mean, you know, we've seen him out there running and doing all the things he needs to do. I imagine even if he's, even if he's full going practice, he'll be on a pitch count. And, you know, there's, there's no need to put uh, Nate Lamman out there in practice to knock heads because you know what he's going to give you on game day. So they can take it a little easy there, but will he start the season opener? I never bet against a guy like Nate Lamman. That's my take on it. Yeah. 